another hope-filled message from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org. To be honest, after being married for 15 years, at the age of 38, so that's 22 years ago, I said, God, we'll never have money to buy a home. And God, your word talks about a different kind of life. And I found myself reading 2 Corinthians 9.8. This is what Paul writes. God's word says, God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Paul, you're gonna realize that you're not a special case. Maybe your experience hasn't been what you want. But you are not a special case. His grace is towards you that you always, here it is the word, having all sufficiency in all things. This is not a seasonal approach. This is an outcome that the Bible says should be normal Christian living. Why would you say that God wants to bless you to that measure so that you would have an abundance for every good work? Not only would you be able to scratch the itch or touch the pain with a band-aid, you could reform society. Wherever there's a good work, you can say, I can be involved in that. And that word sufficiency very simply is this, that you would live a state of life where you don't need any extra support financially. So in other words, you're not gonna work to get money to survive. No, 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 you're a part of a pathway that God has taught and provided so that you, you gotta work with purpose and you gotta work to increase your ability to do more and more. And I, I kind of found myself just locked there and I, and I realized that financial freedom requires, this is what it is, principled faith. You can just have faith. Well, God, I'm praying you bless me. That's faith. God, I'm trusting you as I, I do the things that I know to do. I, I'm gonna trust you, but you need trust and pathways. Faith without works destroys. It's dead. And so often we think it's just gonna happen for us because we're God's kids and God says, no, principled pathways. In other words, you gotta develop in that sense of faith, your trust and to accept God's word as absolute. No matter where you see yourself, God has the answer. He was there before you ever came on the scene. He's bigger than your current dilemma. You gotta know that He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is Jehovah Jireh, God has got, again, everything at His disposal, trust me. And we don't so often. But trust and also principle or pathways, principled faith. It's not just gonna happen overnight. I, you know, I kind of cringe when I hear preaching on money and they kind of talk about, well, I tore on tithing and somebody said, I'm gonna start tithing and so I tithe that week and next week I got a pay increase. That's a great encouragement, but that's not normally how it works. You've got to build line upon line, precept upon precept, believing for an outcome, but become a person of principle, a person that realized there are many ingredients. You might not know this about me, but I was a, a pastry cook. My parents were in the food industry, so I worked with them for a year. And, and I realized that you need numbers of ingredients to get the outcome. Come on, if you haven't cooked and it's kind of like the recipe says you need self-raising flour, but you don't have any and you only have flour, you think, well, it's flour, it's flour. What's the point? How many know the cake is not gonna rise? Sounds like a whole lot of Christians to me. Come on, it's like you, you got some of it right. And in my life, and I talk so much more about it in this God, Money and Me book, it's kind of like, I, I didn't realize there were more ingredients. Uh, if you're gonna build a foundation for a building, you need concrete 
at the bottom and a concrete itself has four ingredients. It's got water, it's got cement, it's got sand and it's got rocks. And you need the right balance. If you don't get the right balance, it can look good, but under pressure, it's gonna crack. And I think there's a lot of people that the enemy's going, you know what, I can't stop them believing God, but I can stop them getting a financially breakthrough life. I can stop them setting up the generations that follow them and I can keep them in this place where they can't break through. So I began to study it and I discovered that there are four main ingredients to creating a financial pathway. And the first one many of us have heard about, but maybe in a different way, I wanna touch on this a bit today, is about what belongs to God. The tithe, what, what is really not ours to give? What is a testing point? But with the tithe also, as I was taught, is God wants us to realize we're responsible for harvest. Harvest requires seed. And as you become a sower, you're unlocking harvest. But I was never taught that as responsible as seeding, so is saving. So all we were taught is let's give it away. I never thought about generations to follow. I didn't think about what I do today has a big bearing on tomorrow. And even the saving I did was to be consumed on wants that I had rather than thinking generationally. All right, come on, somebody get excited. And then of course, the last one, which we've all got down pat, is spending. We're gonna go there next week, watch out next week. It's kind of like, yeah, well, what do you mean by all that? Well, here's the first one. And I think this is the pebbles, the rock ingredient in the concrete. Without it, you don't have stability. Without it, you don't have strength. And it's to do with stewarding. I would say that stewarding is all about a sovereignty decision. See, if I asked you today, who is sovereign over your financial world? You'd say, well, what do you mean? Jesus put it like this in Matthew 23, 23. You can do and you should do principally what's right. One of those things is to give your tithe. But don't lose your heart. Don't lose your spirit. And so we look at that and people say, well, I don't believe in tithing. I don't believe in stewarding because that's Old Testament law and, and aren't we under grace? And that was for then. I go, well, you, you're kind of smart in that it is in the Old Testament law, but it's not Old Testament law. If you do a bit of look into it, you'll discover that there's a huge amount of debate. And let me just put it out there. I'm going all out today. Because people go on the website and say, well, I went on the website and there's arguments against tithing. And I said, and you're prepared to take from somebody what they think and you don't even know who they are. And why is there so much debate about tithing? Because I would suggest, as we're seeing on the screen, tithing and stewarding is about a sovereignty decision. See, the enemy doesn't want you to live under the sovereignty of God in your financial world. Because if you don't break through in your financial world, it's gonna interrupt everything else. It's gonna make you emotionally weak. It's gonna distract you from the purposes of God. And, and so we're just gonna realize that Malachi 3, and I'd encourage you to read it. I do a whole lot more, as I said on the book on that, is to understand what tithing is. First thought is Malachi 3 and verse six. Just think about this. This is in the first person. In other words, God's not talking about a law. He's talking about himself. So this is where a whole lot of the argument falls down because God says, verse six, I am the Lord. I do not change. 
Oh yeah, but we're now in a new century. I am the Lord. I do not change. Yeah, well, I don't feel right. I am the Lord. I do not. Why is God going to that leg? Of course, He's not insecure. He's not saying, well, look, I need somebody to tell me who I am the Lord. I do not change. Therefore, you should be thankful. You're not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your father, like other generations, you have gone away from my ordinances. It's not an Old Testament law, it's an ordinance. By the way, an ordinance in the original is a command, a specific decree. As long as I'm king, this decree stands. That I want you to begin to realize I'm not changing, don't you change. You say, well, why is the tithe such a big subject? John Calvin put it like this, where riches hold the dominion of a human heart, God has lost his authority. Did you know you could worship on Sunday, feel the presence of God, but God has no authority in your financial world? Because we've done what Adam and Eve did. God says, I've made you a garden, all this is for you. But there's one tree I made that's not for you, it's mine. Don't eat it. You see, you can't have true depth of relationship unless there's choice. Did you know that tithing is not somebody commanding you to do it? It's your choice whether you're going to position God sovereign through stewarding. So Adam and Eve, as we touched on last week, took the fruit. And where did they end up? Outside the garden. I, I would say 80 or 90% of us today, even at life, are outside the garden. Hear me out. God loves us, but we're outside the garden. Because God is looking for him to be replaced in that sovereignty position and the balance of God to come. You know, Billy Graham talked about an authentic Christian leader for many years. Again, he says one of the greatest sins is the fact that we are robbing God of what rightfully belongs to him. And this is where it gets kind of a pinch point because a lot of people look at it and go, yeah, well, what's this all about the tithe? It's about who are we dependent on? See, this is about this first person. It's like, who's first in your life? Seriously. God, how come I'm not getting the breakthrough? Well, who's first? Who's sovereign over your world? You go to Proverbs 3 and verse 9, honor the Lord with your first fruits, your possessions, your first fruits in the same sentence, with all of your increase, honor Him. As you honor Him, you release Him and His ability because first is first. It's not an add-on. It's not after. It's not whether we can do it or not. It's so much more than money. And that's why I get kind of fired up. And as a senior pastor here, it's kind of like, it's like, no, I'm going to tell you what it is because it's not really about money. It's about lordship. God's looking there as your father and going, I want to step into your financial world. I want to change the echoes of generations that haven't done it right. I want to begin to cause you to get ready for the kind of breakthrough you've never seen. I thank God for my mum who's still alive and she taught us even before I was five to tithe on everything that we received. And so I'm not perfect by a country mile, but I thank God since I was five, to my knowledge, have I never not given God the first tenth on every increase. Whether it's salary or whether it's a bonus or whether it's an inheritance or whether it's kind of like first tenth, God, that's yours. You are sovereign in my life. It's a sovereignty decision. It's kind of like when it comes in, it's not mine anyway. I'm just returning to sender. I'm just honoring the king for who he is and I'm changing it and I'm turning it around. So it's in the first person, second thought. It's a specific portion. It's like there is fruit on the tree. Don't touch the fruit. Don't eat the fruit. And you go, what do you mean a specific portion? Again, Malachi 3, 8, 
Will a man rob God? Listen, you could go into the details, but as I said, I can't do it all. It's a lot more in the book. It's not rob from God, rob God. Will, will a person, a human being, rob God? Yet you've robbed me. And then what? You say, in, in what, what way have we robbed you? In the tithe, the first tenth. And in your offerings, which is our seeding, you've robbed me from being able to be free to step in. Because money determines the resident authority we saw last week. We looked at it, Luke 11, or rather 16, verse 13, where again, Jesus talks, no man can serve two masters, no servant. Either you'll end up loving one, hating the other, being loyal to one or despising the other. You can't serve God and mammon. And you say, well, what is mammon again? Again, listen last week, it's, but it's simply where the what becomes a who. You get your increase and it's like, wow, I need that. And God says, no, you need me sovereign. You need me to step in and to have the authority to step in when everything natural goes against you. You need me and my authority in that place. That's why every time increase touches your hand, mammon's in the room going, don't do it. Don't do it because if you put him sovereign, I can't touch the rest. If you don't put him sovereign, then I have authority and even God knows that. So I just pray that we will always be a church. We tell it like it is. And seriously, it's kind of like in my heart. God, God, you've got to help us with that. Mammon seeks to gain a position of authority every time we increase. I would say, personally, I reckon second to sin, unsurrendered money or material possessions is the enemy's major weapon of distraction and restriction. After 60 years of learning, I believe that's sin. You say, yeah, but you know, the church and money. No, it's not about money. It's about lordship. Just read the Bible. Haggai 2.8. God speaking, the silver is mine. The gold is mine. Why do you make it out? Why do you listen to an evil spirit that's trying to restrict future generations? And basically our financial, our material world operates either from a surrendered or an unsurrendered position. It just doesn't mean that you... You have a breakthrough, but the first tenth, it's a specific portion of all your increase. It's about the first person. It's about a specific portion. Thirdly, it's about a predetermined place. This is interesting because verse 10, the Bible says, bring all of the tithe, the first tenth, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. I have no doubt that the local church is God's primary expression of his kingdom. People go, well, look, I tithe, I, I, I give to missionaries. It's not about you giving to anyone. It's, it's about you returning to God. So therefore you say, yeah, but then I want to support, you know, kids that have needs and I, I want to get behind a local charity. Well, you're there to do it. We're going to touch on this next week. That's where your seeding comes from. But your stewarding goes to where God wants it, not where you want it. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, but that's challenging because I've always done it that way. But that first tithe is about the honor of God, the storehouse. How many are looking forward to the day where the church recaptures the corner place in society? Where governments come and knock at the door and say, you know what, you guys are able to bring breakthrough and community need and you seem to have an answer and you've got finances and we can uh, uh, dovetail and partner with you. And it's kind of like, well, the enemy doesn't want the church to rise, so keep it poor. I'm talking to you about your role in establishing God's kingdom, my role in establishing God's kingdom here on planet Earth. 
Other people have said to me, well, Pastor Paul or Paul, I don't believe in tithing, so I always give more than 10% most of the time. I said, I, I wouldn't really care if you gave 30%. Tithing is not about your choices to where it goes. Tithing is saying, God, I honour you as God. Your plan works, so I'm not gonna take another plan and I get then to determine I'm not gonna live under the control of it. And again, Malachi 3, the words, return to me. Bring the whole tithe. Honour the Lord. These are all words that God is saying, this is not about your control. See, mammon will let you give, but you have to be in the driver's seat. God says, no, I need to deal with sovereignty. And of course, self-priority leads to self-dependence. Martin Luther said, we cannot give God anything really for everything is already His. <laughs> All that you have comes from Him. Well, you know, if you're tired, you're gonna be blessed. You'll be blessed if you work hard. But we're talking about a sovereignty issue. We're talking about the fact, and it's kind of like, yeah, but you, you don't understand, Paul. I just got, you know, I got a job a couple of years ago. Man, there's a lot more money coming in than I had before, and it's a big deal. Well, the bigger the money comes in, the more sound of mammon in the room. I love the story where a man came to Peter Marshall. He was the former captain of the United States Senate. And he was concerned about tithing. So he said to Peter, he said, look, I've got a problem. I've been tithing for some time. And it wasn't too bad when I was making 20,000 a year because I could afford to give a couple of thousand. And, uh, and then everything's changed. Now I'm on 500, half a million a year. And I just can't afford to give 50,000. Dr. Marshall didn't really respond. He just thought, and he said, uh, I do think you've got a problem. He said, well, I do. He says, well, I think the best thing is to pray. So Dr. Marshall bowed his head. He had real boldness and authority. And he said, dear Lord, this man has a real problem. And I pray that you would help him. Lord, would you reduce his salary back to a place where he could afford to tithe? <laughs> I never forget this from a popper's heart. If you're not faithful in the small, the large will destroy you. And God is looking to break a curse that's been on generations. It's about a first person. It's about a specific portion. It's about a predetermined place. Do you know, it's about a divine proposition. Keep reading in Malachi 3, Malachi 3.10. Would you try me? Would you try me now? Not, oh, when I get it together, would you try me now? Says the Lord, this is God speaking, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven, pour you out such a blessing that you don't have room to contain it. A lot of people say, well, I've never experienced that. No, have you really honored God all the way through? And if you have, look at how small your world was back then and begin to realize that God is doing things that are far bigger. Try me, literally, this was the, um, you know, a lot of the Bible is, is in pictures, the original language. It's test me like you would test gold. Don't just accept it, bite the gold. Let it be tested to sure that it's right because this will work. That's why I say, it's not like we'll do it this week, get it next week. No, just walk the pathway. I'll never forget one particular day, I think it was about 35 years ago, I was speaking on giving in Sydney where we were located and this solo mum came up to me afterwards and she said, wow, that's challenging. She said, I've got two kids and we really don't even have enough money for food. And of course, I didn't understand what I understand now, but obviously just responded as a popper. And I just said, well, honey, it's not easy. I get that. 
you know, I'd love to pray for you. And I, you know, God is a big God. He understands where you're at. And I said, you really should just do whatever you can do. Whatever's in your heart, just do that. Which again, hand on heart, I thought was the right advice. I'll never forget to this day, leaving church that day in an empty car and it was like the Holy Spirit was sitting in the seat next to me. It changed me forever. And I felt like the Holy Spirit say, Paul, so you know better than the Father. You know better than the I am, the Alpha and the meager. You know better than the God that keeps the universe in tension. You know, when I got home, I found her number and I rang. I said, honey, what I said to you in church today came out of a fatherly heart, but it wasn't right. God says, if you honor him. And of course, I just felt, and I remember saying, I think Marie and I talked about, we did something for her to help her out. But come on, who's sovereign? Who is sovereign in your life? Who's sovereign over the generations that follow you? You know, people say, well, I don't need it. I, I've done okay without God. Yeah, like I said, your gift can do it. But your gift's not gonna keep you when there's economic recession. Your gift is not gonna step in when somebody does the dirty on you. But God says, no, I'm with you if you would take up this proposition to test me, to try me. It's about enduring promise. Verse 11 of Malachi 3, I will rebuke the devourer. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Up at north, I will rebuke the devourer. Down south, I'm gonna rebuke the devourer. Okay, it's daylight saving today, but my Father in heaven, by God's grace, I know, gets up and says, devil, you can't touch that. You can't, that doesn't mean you don't have a testing time, but I'll rebuke the devourer. Doesn't mean he doesn't come, but he won't devour. He won't take it all away. He doesn't have that right. He will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Your vine will not fail to bear fruit, says the Lord. All the nations of the earth will call you blessed. And you will be, what? A delightful land. Come on, Aotearoa. It's kind of like, why, why wouldn't God use New Zealand to see something happen and break in this area and have a global message to say, don't you restrict your God of heaven. Why, why shouldn't we stand up when you put God first? Listen, here it is. There's a divine proposition. I will rebuke the devourer. Here's the enduring promise. Every day I'll rebuke you. No, you can't touch that. Devil, not today. Uh -uh. Not today. It's not gonna happen. Stewarding, hear me, is a divine decision. As I said before, there's no way I can communicate all that I've written, but over the next period in the fourth term, we're all gonna go through God, money, me, every group without fail. Every campus, we're gonna have the uh, five Tuesday nights where we're gonna go through and we're gonna touch on this and we're gonna help understand how that works. Second thing, second jar. Shall we get on to some? Stewarding is we honor God. Then I wanna go straight to saving. Because I was never taught this in the church. I was just taught to keep on giving away. But saving to me is all about a generational release. Nobody taught me to think beyond myself. In fact, I was taught the opposite. I, 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 as I said, I, I went to 2 Corinthians 9 and said, that's not happening for me. But to be honest, my parents and my grandparents did a lot of building character into me. But they never had the understanding that saving is about setting up a generational release. As long as I can get through on my time, it's okay. And you go, what do you mean? Well, I, was, I grew up with being taught the law of sowing but I was never taught the law of reaping. 
So I thought if I sowed, then the harvest would come only to realize it's a two-part principle. It's the law of sowing and the law of reaping. So if you go to farmer's school, they're going to teach you it's one thing to get the grand, ground fertile and to put the seed in well and water it well. It's another thing to go and get the harvest. There is more work in saving harvest than seeding. And so therefore, we never ever embraced it. In fact, you go to Scripture and I began to read again and it came alive to me. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. In other words, you can be. Many of you are. I'm not talking to you. I'm just saying this is the Bible. You can live. How do you know you're deceived? You don't. Because it's deception. Do not be deceived. Here it is. God is not mocked. Whatever a man or a woman sows, that they will reap, that he will also reap. And I began to go, oh my gosh. I didn't realize I got to go down, cut the crop down and save some of it. It's like, okay, we're in legacy. We're believing for this miracle so we can do all the community. So a farmer, let's believe we're all farmers. He says, I've had a bumper crop. I'm bringing all of my crop in. And we go, hallelujah, it's a miracle. You know what I would say to them now? Don't you dare give all that seed away. Because if you give all that seed away, you have got no potential in your future. You have no generational echo. It's good today, but God wants us to live in the balance of the formula. Come on, the ingredients to make a foundation that's going to have this echo so we stand higher and taller. And so we've got to really realize. People say, well, money doesn't grow on trees. No, it doesn't, but it does grow on generational trees. Seriously, some of us got to think about it get married, becoming parents, and then think about this generational thing, like there should be an inheritance. You might go, well, I don't know. Well, my dad didn't know. I'll still remember my dad. He was a great man. He said, well, Paul, I came to New Zealand, Dutch boy, 21 years of age, 25 US dollars in my pocket. And I worked my butt off, married a gorgeous woman. She said yes, because I told her she had to. She's in church this morning. Raised eight children. You've done okay. We didn't have a lavish life, but we had a great life. He said, it did me good to start with nothing and it'll do you good. Sounds good, but it's not biblical. You are not here just to survive. You are here to break the pattern of the enemy's life over generations. You and I are here to create a platform. Our children should be standing on our shoulders. Our children's children should be standing in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, where they realize, wow, I had a great papa. Papa thought about me. Papa was putting saving aside. This isn't saving for a new car. This isn't saving for another holiday. This is about what's gonna go generational. It can, again, go into a non-depreciating asset. The best thing for it to do is to help you live in a house. But this is not about your retirement. This is about a generational echo. So let's go again to the Bible. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 23. Uh, sorry, Proverbs 13, 22 first. It says a good man, a good woman. What do they do? They leave an inheritance. And all I heard about that was just character. No, that's not what it means. To their children's children, because the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the righteous. You see, money released creates a money kind of attraction. God is wanting to break through. That's why you need to hear last week's message if you weren't here that God wants you to live abundantly. God wants you to be able to break through and it's a biblical pattern. So our kids, kids, do you know our 
grandkids don't know this and I have to stop communicating it publicly soon. But we've got three grandkids, all three of them have an account. Every time Marie and I get paid, money goes into that account. You know what happens when they get married or they get 25? It's not to pay for their wedding. It's not to pay for their honeymoon. It's going to their house and going generationally. And I'm believing that not only will that money from the account, also the assets of what we can acquire through saving into our home is going to go into that. And they're going to wake up and say, wow, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Thank God for Papa. Thank God for Mimi. Come on, how many wish they had a grandparent like that? It's like, come on, where are those grandparents? And you might go, well, I don't have any kids, you know, to do that for. No, 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 no. There are a lot of spiritual children that don't have grandparents that think like this. Come on, you imagine what we could do in breaking the curse. Oh, I'm getting excited, some of you. Come on, you're just warming up, getting ready for it. It's kind of like we need to do it. You say, well, I got nothing to save. Really? Come on, I need some music. Maybe all of the locations could have the musicians come and join us. Nothing to save? Let me take you on a journey. If you were here a couple of years ago, I used this illustration, but 1989 years, according to my calculation, there was a widow woman. So you would have to argue she didn't have a whole lot, but it was offering time and they used to have great copper pots and she brought just two copper coins, metal on metal. Jesus honored her because she gave sacrificially. Those giving great wads of money were just giving in their overflow. Didn't understand first. So she did the right thing. But if you were to say, hey, think generationally. Every time you increase, stewarding's part of the principle. Seeding's part of the principle. Saving's part of the principle. Spending's part of the principle. Put something aside. Today, that value would be 80 cents U.S., if you were to take that 80 cents US and put it at the bank, at which time they were getting a lot more than this, and today we wouldn't get as much as this, but just an average of 4% over 1,989 years. Compounding. What that means is the interest doesn't come back to you, it goes back into the account. What do you reckon just under 2,000 years that 80 cents would look like? Let's go to the screen. Some of you need to put your glasses on it would be worth $5.6 decillion. Never heard about that much. That's 80 cents, just saved generationally. Do you know, when you research it, it would pay off total global debt of the non-financial sector of every general government, every household, every non-financial firm, globally. Not once, but to the power of 17 zeros. The debt is 156 trillion. Just gone generational. It's, like, it's no good saying, well, God, where's the blessing? God's saying, you've got to walk a pathway. You've got to learn to do it long-term. You've got to really understand that it's more than that. Warren Buffett, you may have heard of his name. He's uh, attributed to being the third wealthiest man in America. This is what he said. Do not save what is left after spending, but make sure you spend what is left after saving. Somebody, oh good, North, they're getting excited about that, I think. So I, I saw a graph of his wealth. Let's put it on the screen behind me. There's Warren. Underneath is the ages. 
By the time he was 15, he had already saved $16,000. Sorry, $6,000. Because he was taught in our kids' ministry today, all of our kids are getting stickers for our jars or containers. They're all see-through so they can go on anything and they're going to learn there are four parts of the equation. God first, generosity, generations get to spend. And you imagine if you start that as a kid, maybe by 16, you could also, or 15, you could have 6,000. The interesting thing is by 30, he already had an equity of a million. So in the next 14 years, by the age 50 or thereabouts, in fact, let's go back to 1 million. Where is it? 30. By the age of 30, he had 1 million. Then by the age of 37, 10 million. By the age of 83, 58 point. In fact, the latest stats is it's not 58. He's gone well beyond that and is sitting at, what is it? 80, sorry, 87, yeah. 58 million billion dollars. Spending always works. Sorry, saving always works like this. And God says, if you were to go generationally, your kids wouldn't have to work for money. They'd work for purpose. And they'd be in, in position to increase their percentages and begin to say, hey, not only does God love you, the church is the answer for you. Because we've discovered that God's word works. God is the answer to it. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifeau.org.